0: Welcome back to the Clean Techies Podcast, where we interview climate tech founders and VCs to discuss all things building and investing to solve the biggest challenge of our generation, climate change. Today, SoMail and I had the chance to speak with Kevin Kyer, who is the co-founder and CEO of Purpose. I originally thought it was pronounced PyrePose, but it's Purpose. P-Y-R-P-O-S-E. They are building a direct lending platform that using the crowdfunding laws, allows individuals to make a return by lending directly to companies creating clean solutions in the emerging markets. They focus on emerging markets because of how high the cost of capital is and the unwillingness of large lending institutions to operate in those markets currently. Kevin has a really interesting background working with the likes of Yahoo as an internet marketing specialist, so he offered a few insights on their roadmap of going directly to consumers initially. He had some great advice for setting up your founding team, how to identify product market fit, including applying the climate lens, and he shared a few thoughts on the way climate and blockchain people are starting to work together. Lots of really great stuff here and also super fascinating business model. Enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome. uh, Welcome to the show, Kevin. How's it going? Pretty good, man. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Good to, good to be on, on the call. Really excited to record this one. So I guess let's just start, get started by, you know, giving us a quick intro to yourself and kind of what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, so my name is Kevin Kyer. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Purpose. Purpose is a climate finance platform that's designed to be for the everyday person who's concerned about the planet but hasn't yet been in a position to invest in the future of the planet
0: very good so can we'll get into the, what that means a little bit more later but can you explain kind of how you ended up doing this like what's your backstory how did you get here because I think it's a pretty a pretty interesting one
1: yeah so I, I didn't have like this um, you know like grand vision that I started out in high school with some sort of plan or like you know writing code in high school or something like that it really was a bit of sort of like a journey. And I see that a lot with, with climate founders. We, we don't come from a climate space because those jobs weren't available 10, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So our origination really probably the very first time that we even thought or even thought about doing something like this was when I got involved with a, a company that was doing renewable energy in off-grid communities. And I helped them to get their initial seed capital. And I saw how their product and their solution was, you know, it wasn't just reducing carbon emissions. It was like changing people's livelihoods. And that was a little over 10 years ago. And and funny enough, that's when I was working at Yahoo, where I was, you know, optimizing algorithms and monetizing pixels. And I just couldn't figure out where was the money in this? You know, how how does somebody do good on the planet and then make a return And then fast forward about 10 odd years and a couple of startups after that, where again I'm just, you know, optimizing pixels and algorithms for varying different causes. And I started getting into the impact sector here in Geneva. And in Geneva, it's huge on the SDGs. Like the businesses know about it, the kids in the school know about it. And as I was working with this impact accelerator, and then eventually started running the impact accelerator. I've started to see that blend of profit and purpose. Um, and then, you know, there's a longer version we could potentially get into later if it's of interest, but like how it eventually came to creating purpose was really, it was the network. You know, it was a bunch of us that had similar sort of different ideas coming from different angles and trying to figure out why are not we doing enough funding and climate Um, Who's doing the funding today? What are the problems with all of that? And then is there a, a technology or solution that solves for that?
2: Impact brands represent the choice to live our lives in alignment with planetary action and our values to preserve our amazing home for generations to come. Be it through solar panels, how you travel, where you're sourcing your materials, the choices we make matter. And I know you know that if you're listening to this podcast. My name is Anna Constantinova and I'm on a mission to make impact brands our next paradigm. I believe that marketing can be used for us rather than against us. And I wanna help you build the best brand possible so we can all pour our strength into solving the biggest issue of our time. Whether you're a founder or an investor representing portfolio companies, let's work together to make sure your brand is seen, heard and remembered the way it deserves to be. And as a thank you to the Clean Techies community, I'm offering 20% off my newest launch, Branding Sessions, with code CLEANTECHIES, one word. We'll take 60 or 90 minutes to solve one specific problem, whether it be a naming issue, strategy development, business growth, or beyond. Let's put our minds together and move forward with renewed energy. Can't wait to hear what you're working on. Find me at anaco.co. That's A-N-N-A-K-O.co. Talk soon.
1: And, and is anybody doing a good job at that today? So that was kind of like the the starting point, but I've now rambled for a bit. So maybe, maybe we should dig into it.
3: No, I I don't think the, the rambling is super helpful because actually one thing, it brought up an interesting point. So you talked about your background and your foundation in Switzerland. Um, and so the startup communities in different areas we know differs widely. So based on the innovation ecosystem you were in, especially as an accelerator, What do you think are the biggest problems people are focusing on? Just as a sort of a background to set the scene, were you entering a space that people were asking questions about, but didn't really know a lot about? Was it a heavily hot topic? What kind of space was the, you know, carbon finance, carbon footprinting at the time?
1: Uh, Carbon climate related. So this is going back five years ago definitely was starting to be a topic, right? I would say things kind of, I feel like truly kicked off sort of 10-ish years ago. And then here in Geneva, like people know when you say SDGs, what they mean, and like some of them are like super memorized. When it comes to the companies, there's that side. But then from a capital perspective, five years ago, and and this is part of the challenge and, and why we're doing what we're doing, is that I felt the it it was it was just too niche. Like impact investing is relatively niche, even if you see, you know, a trillion a year flowing into it out of the hundred trillion globally. But then climate was like this other sub niche of it. And so I think there just wasn't enough understanding of what are the problems? How do we solve for these problems? I came across a lot of companies that were were treating climate as a like a donation, right? So you're, you, you care about the climate. So here I'm going to, I'm going to siphon off a portion of my income and that can be through my daily habits or that can be through my bank or that can be when I'm making a purchase, I round up. And I felt like that's, that's just little pennies dropping in. And of course, if you get, you know, hundreds of millions of people doing it, that's great, but there's just, there's just not enough scale. So it was, it was getting started but the knowledge gap was, was rather large, rather large for sure.
0: Hey there, are you building a climate tech business and looking for very specialized talent? Consider reaching out to our sponsors, Next Wave Partners. Next Wave are experts in talent acquisition, recruitment and retention across the climate tech, renewables and ESG spaces globally. So if your team is growing or you're looking to make a career change yourself, feel free to reach out to Next Wave at next-wavepartners.com or reach out to one of their consultants directly via their LinkedIn page. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that that is really fascinating to hear the 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 timing and the the way people looked at it at the time. Um I am curious, you know, to go, to go further into now what you're doing. Can you kind of really walk us through <laughs> what exactly is is purpose doing? And by the way, I I also disclaimed, I thought it was pyrepose uh until <laughs> until you said it. Uh so so what is purpose doing? And um you know, walk us through the exact like mechanics of how it works. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm glad that it, it made you uh, think about how to say it. That was that was intentional. There's this whole thing about our spelling um, and the Y and our logo and the logos of Mobius, and there's this whole marketing story, but uh, we'll, again, we'll say that for some other day. Okay, so at its most simplistic form, and then we can dive down in each one of these rabbit holes. At its most simplest, simplistic form, if you're a climate-conscious consumer which there are lots of them across Europe. Like, I feel very, very fortunate. 93% of Europeans see the climate as a serious issue. I'm from the States. I don't know if either of you have ever seen anything, 93% of the population of the U.S. ever saying, yeah, we agree with that, right? So I really, I'm like super fortunate I live in Switzerland. So let's start off with your climate-conscious consumer. You have uh, disposable income. You are already doing things, so you're aware, right? You're not like, ah, is this thing real? Um, Do I really believe I need to be doing something? So you're already doing things. And then what we're giving you access and the ability to do is to invest where your passion is, which is the climate. So then let's talk about what does that mean in terms of investing. So we looked at the realm of investing you could do. So you could go into the secondary market. The secondary market is bonds and shares, right? And you're not actually investing in that company. You're paying another investor for their shares. So we're like, well, that's not direct. So that's good. You know, there's shareholder activism. There's people doing things of that nature. But what we really wanted to do is make sure that the capital had a direct connection. Your individual capital had a direct connection to reducing future carbon emissions, No obfuscating in the middle, no middleman doing something this, that, and the other. And you're trying to figure out, did I really do something good for the planet? So then it came down to what is the structure? And the structure is lending working capital to small, medium-sized enterprises. Those small, medium-sized enterprises use that capital to grow their impact, right? So they're selling renewable energy products that could be in a home, that could be at a school, That could be at a building or it could be electrifying a scooter that was using fossil fuels before. Right. So they borrow the capital. You as a user on our platform are part of participating in that lending to that company. The company then sells their products. They sell them. They don't donate them. They sell them. So the profit motive is there. Then as that profit motive comes back and there's interest on the money that's been borrowed, Purpose participates in the interest as does the individual consumer. But the part that's different, there's a handful of uh, lending platforms out there today. The part that's different for us is that we track everything through blockchain. And it's not like blockchain solves the world and essentially because you have this consensus mechanism, now everybody believes what you're doing is real, right? But a big part of it too is just that engagement. So like if you were to go out and buy a share of a company today, are you going to have direct connection to that CEO? Are you going to be able to have an AMA with them? Are you going to be able to ask them questions and get videos and pictures throughout the month that sees what they're doing? And yeah, maybe if you follow them on Instagram and you get lucky and they respond to one of your notes. But the idea being that you have a human to human connection, not only with the individuals, the trailblazers doing the, the hard work on the ground, but then the, the communities and the people that are, are getting these solutions. So then we get to the community aspect of it. And for us, again, we analyzed all the different solutions that could be out there. And our entry point is to go into, and we are, uh, emerging markets. So emerging markets are often the markets that get hit the most by climate change. And they're also the markets that when you transition somebody from traditional fossil fuels For energy for light then when you move them up to clean and renewable sources of energy not only are you doing something for the planet you're changing their livelihoods so you're improving their health because there's no fumes from the kerosene you're saving them money because they're not buying kerosene you're often helping young children get better grades Because you can imagine if you had to study by, you know, a burning stick or a candle or kerosene versus if you had a solar lamp sitting at your desk, we all know which one's easier. Right. So for us, it's the greatest need, the greatest, you know, I almost call it like a a carbon plus, you know, hey, I removed X amount of metric tons, future uh, uh, carbon. But I've also done this to improve people's livelihoods. So. In summary, you as the individual have the ability to have a direct investment into climate SMEs. You get a return. As that money is being used, you directly see through videos, chats, AMAs, and of course an impact report provided by a third party, not by us, that shows, okay, your capital is aligned to your values and you are now making a real tangible difference the planet, and of course, the livelihood aspect as well.
0: Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's likely that you're enjoying the show, so I wanted to ask your help. If you're enjoying it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share with somebody in the same industry who might find this interesting. And if you're interested in getting summaries of these episodes, go subscribe to our newsletter that comes out on LinkedIn and Substack. Links can be found in the description. Thanks for your help in growing the reach of this show. So, one thing I'm curious about is with this, is this all automated, or are people gonna need to like kind of like Angel's list almost like look at the opportunities and then make investments, or is it just something that they put in and it will be taken care of for them
1: so there's um so I've worked on on marketplaces um most of my career. the way that we're approaching it and, and I don't know if it's right, but it's it's based off of the experience i've had is. You provide fewer options at the beginning, and then as you progress, then you provide that capability and that, that, that filtering concept, right? So in the beginning, it's sort of a, a package deal. But then let's say, Silas, we opened up um, a solution in New York City, and you're like, you know what, developing markets are great, but i really like to see something closer to me in my community or you know wherever you're based that is something that we want to be able to do and you should be able to invest in your own community you know energy transition but for us it's it's a, it's an evolution right or wrong we're starting off with a package of emerging markets and then you know we could go we could go vertical on that we could go more risk less risk you know or maybe somebody has an affinity to schools and they don't care about you know, energy transition in buildings. And so they could select schools, right? Or maybe there's a a gender lens that people want to put on it. And they're like, look, I I only care about female founders or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's at the beginning packaged simple. And then as time progresses, allowing that sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. customization based off of what your objectives are.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's actually quite interesting. The reason I was asking is because I I would – I would find it difficult to get people to be continually engaged if they have to go, you know, make the makes a the selection themselves versus just, you know, kind of letting the money go to work once they once they put the money in on a recurring basis or, or a one time basis. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, we'll see. I mean, we're you know we just got out of our our private beta literally a week ago, so the the timing of this this conversation is awesome. Where I didn't I didn't work that out on on plan. Um, and, you know, we're seeing people coming in and we're starting to get the feedback on, hey, this worked, this didn't work, I don't understand this. You know, you had a bug here, you had a bug there. I mean, it's it's a beta. Those things are going to happen.
3: And so you mentioned having experience working with marketplaces in the past. Part of marketplaces is incentivizing both the, buy and the buyer and the supplier side. Given that you're operating in a space like carbon and then... Tailoring to SMEs or SMBs, is there anything you've learned from this experience that you weren't expecting going into it about the characteristics of the buyer um, or the seller in this in this dynamic?
1: Uh, a lot, actually, and and that's the beauty of being in a in a beta, right? You you get the chance to kind of screw up a bit. Um, so the biggest surprise, so the buyers, the consumer in our situation, right? um the biggest surprise on the consumer side is the we, we went into this thinking like this is just like a next gen platform so like millennials gen z and beyond and when we started advertising we didn't we didn't put those filters we just like turned it on into markets europe where you know as i said it's uh, pretty socially understood and we've skewed greatly older than I would have ever anticipated. Um, Some of our most active people are late 50s. Um, That's not to say millennials and Gen Zs aren't engaged and aren't on the platform. But I thought as we started going up that sort of, you know, age brackets, it would just start dropping down. and, And that has not been the case at all. So that was a huge surprise. It's actually very enlightening because then you're like, okay, wow, now the you know total addressable market just became something much bigger than we thought it was. Then on the demand, on the supply side, so the companies themselves. So um, having been on a board that does solutions just like this, you're constantly challenged with operations and raising capital. No, no different than me as a startup. And the biggest surprise on the side of them was it wasn't just an incentive to have capital coming through that is accessible um, lower than if they were doing it um, in their local markets. Because when you're borrowing in, in a lot of emerging markets, like the, the interest rates are crazy. So capital was the a big part of the incentive. But the other idea was the. The community of people around the world that they now have access to so they can further down the line, tap into that community as part of a marketing push, as part of a group of individuals that are aligned to what they're doing. And, and you know, I've, I've spent my career in the Internet and that's all the Internet ever does. Right. Like we can make up all this Web one two three five whatever. We're just breaking down barriers and connecting people around the world right? And so for them, it was really exciting. And then the, the, the big aha moment for them, and we thought this was like a total no-brainer, of course we would do it this way. And the big aha moment for them was, hey, this is regenerative. So this isn't, you know, do a deal like you would do, like say on Kickstarter, you know, crowdfund my company, I'm going to sell X amount of products and you're going to get a free one or a discounted one when we go live. This is put your money on there and when you start paying it back and delivering on what you committed to, you can continue to go back again and again and again. And it just becomes a cycle for you. And then for me as the, the consumer it becomes a cycle for me as well. So I didn't just put my money out there six months. OK, you can always get out fine, but I get to be very connected. And so they. We thought that was a no-brainer. Like, of course, that's how we do it. And they were like, oh, wow, because they compared us to borrowing from, from their local banks in which the process starts over and you go through the due diligence. And so that those were – I guess those are the ones – I'm probably forgetting some, There's, but those are the big ones.
0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you made it this far, it's likely that you're enjoying the show. So I wanted to ask your help. If you're enjoying it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share with somebody in the same industry who might find this interesting. And if you're interested in getting summaries of these episodes, go subscribe to our newsletter that comes out on LinkedIn and Substack. Links can be found in the description. Thanks for your help in growing the reach of this show. Yeah, uh, that is quite fascinating, especially when you talk about emerging markets, the idea of getting getting people to realize the that they want to come back to the platform and have like return business essentially because during my time you know when I went to Uganda to visit my wife's family it was interesting to see a lot of people kind of very short-sighted right in terms of how they treat uh, tourists in, in particular right and I'm assuming that there's probably some similarities with um, business owners and and just thinking about the long term and you know fulfilling these projects and like building that long-term relationship and that trust so that's quite interesting and one thing I, I was going to ask the question but I just maybe just clarify it instead of spending a lot of time on it which is Why is this important, right? And just to make sure my understanding of this is is accurate, it's important because, as you mentioned, emerging markets have very high cost of capital to get these things done, correct?
1: Absolutely. That's one big part of it, but I guess I break it down a little bit higher up than that, and that is sort of a systems issue, right? So um, if you're on a climate techie podcast, like you care about the climate, right? So that that part's good. But then we have to realize that even if uh, there's more VCs, more governments, more individuals putting money into capital than there has been before, it's it's just flat out not enough. Right. I don't know if it's McKinsey or a bunch of people have said that, you know, there's this like super big gap in terms of the energy transition. I want to say it's four trillion. I'm, I'm probably wrong about that. Um, But it sounds about right. So, A, it's not enough. Number two, um, we say that basically climate finance right now is done by the, the, the climate finance elite. So you've got enough money in your pockets, either you're a VC, high net worth individual, whatever, that you get access to these companies. So there's the problem. And then the final one is the the capital piece which you you, you were speaking to so I'm, I'm looking at it sort of like as a systems like the system isn't set up so that the everyday climate conscious consumer can do that and so then it's important because if we break down i'm not going to use the word if as we break down these barriers then we're able to bring more capital get more people involved into this and it's really, you know, access is very binary, you know, yes, I have access, but oh, it was a million dollars. Like there's a lot of platforms that are democratizing climate finance, but when you really look into them, you still have pretty decent ticket sizes. We want it so that pretty much anybody that's got a hundred, a thousand a month to get into it. And therefore, if we get more capital into these solutions, that's, that, that to us, That capital is important, but it's also equally important how many people are participating, because that's also going to create an awareness about these solutions and and just general energy transition.
0: Yeah, there's a super important aspect on the social side. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense.
3: I want to pivot a little bit now. Now we understand a lot of how the technology works and also where the real value add is on both sides. Could you talk a little bit about your roadmap? Now you're in your private beta, as you mentioned. So... How are you envisioning this getting to market and then growing at scale? And what do you think are going to be those driving forces?
1: Yeah. So um, a little over nine months ago, you know, you always get that question. what's, What's the scaling factor for you? And, you know, investors ask it, partners ask it. And we started going and through my board, through my own network, we started talking to a lot of big brands. And these big brands were like, oh, we got to, you know, we got to track Gen Zs. We got to track millennials. We got to do something for the climate. And so they would take your call. And we took a lot of those calls. And then after a while, it was like, holy, I won't swear. Holy crap. We are spending way too much time with these brands that don't know what they want to do. So we like, okay, reel back, reel back. Great that this brand has, you know, 10 million loyal followers that engage on a, you know, quarterly basis. Great. That's a nice figure to have. But until you have that dedication and understanding of what can happen and how it works, it just doesn't work. It's, it's just it's just a total drain brain. So our go to market to answer your question specifically is direct to consumers for about the next six to nine months because from that aspect, you have proven out how this all works. You've got a community, you've got loyal users, you have people that are willing to say, hey, yeah, I did that, I liked it, you get some trust, you build some momentum. However, that being said, you always need to think about, or I should say, I always need to think about what is a capital efficient customer acquisition plan? And as much as an efficient as most social media really is, narrowing down and finding your climate-conscious consumer, you're, you're really better served going where the climate-conscious consumer is already. So that can be a website that's only selling climate-conscious products, right? It can be a, an advertisement in a section of a major publication that's completely focused on climate, because if you're reading about it, You probably care about it. Right. So we view our go to market as get this whole um, climate conscious consumer community across Europe, super engaged. We will do some partnerships before we do bigger ones, get them uh, loving the product, talking about the product. And then we'll start exploring what are those multiple types of partnerships that that can help us to scale.
3: So going through the consumer route, I think generally is considered to be one of the hardest ways to build a company, but also potentially one of the largest ways to get a stronghold on the market where you can capitalize on that. So it's a bit of a chicken and the oh. egg. Uh, and I think that comes up in a lot of raising conversations in venture too. So in your experience, especially going to VCs with this model, what has been the feedback and also what has been your experience in raising um, for your company?
1: Yep. Um, well, that's a loaded question. Um all right, so what's my experience? I'll focus on that. My experience is we're at the intersection of fintech and climate, right? So we're using some you know clever fintech technology on the background to make things more efficient, more effective, more transparent, and then we're doing stuff in climate. What's interesting is the intersection of those two investor communities is pretty small. So if I'm speaking to an investor that's really – climate focused, I got to bring them up to speed on the fintech. And then obviously on the climate side, I got to bring them up to uh, speed or no, the fintech side. I got to bring them up on the climate side. Occasionally you come across organizations that are understanding how the two of those together are super, super powerful. And in the VC community, um, I think you guys know if you're, you're doing what you're doing right now, like it, things are pretty tight, right? Things are pretty tight. I was um, at uh, the Crypto Valley Summit last week in ZOOG on stage talking about our solution, and I got an incredible bit of feedback from there and incoming calls and partnerships, et cetera. So a good news for us is, you know, climate's not a fad. You know, it's not like, you know, in six months, everyone's going to be like, oh, that climate thing, that was fun, wasn't it? It's going to continue to be a challenge. Uh, FinTech continues to mature and grow. Yes, it's been around for decades, but it's really starting to get into places where big corporations, individuals are starting to go after it. We've been successful in raising our angel round, a uh, million dollars. Uh, we closed back me, back last May. We had one institution participating in that, which is uh, Crypto Valley Venture Capital here in Switzerland. And now we're raising our seed round, or I should say pre-seed round at, at 500K. And that's to get us to a full-scale launch. So yes, the market's not um, ideal, and and some VCs are are shopping around for deals for sure. And you can sniff that out really, really quick because suddenly you start hearing like terms before you've even gotten into in, into any sort of DD. And I'm like, okay, I, I can see what you're going after here. We're we're not going to be a good partner to work with.
3: Yeah no i mean i I don't know if everyone has that has that experience. I think that's definitely kudos to you and and you know a lot of the cool technology that you're doing to be able to get people interested just based on the things that they're hearing um so that is that is very cool to hear that's definitely not that common um there's one one slight tangent that I want to go into just off of what you said. we've had a guest on the show at a at the similar intersection of what you would call probably you know in air quotes crypto x climate and so based on this niche of all of climate tech and this niche of also all of climate fintech and organizing and, and centralizing data. What has been your experience at that intersection? Would you say it's a lot of there are a lot of special specialists in this area or are people starting to kind of see the benefits of crypto and climate and giving more attention to it? Where is that field coming from and, and how is it evolving?
1: Um, It is evolving. So just as little as 16 months ago, if I went to a Web3 conference and brought up that our solution supports the climate, I would get a bunch of head scratching and like, what are you talking about? You know, like, where's, where's my thousand percent return? You know, what are your tokenomics, all this sort of stuff. And then on the other side, when I go to climate events and I explain like, Hey, you know, this is a FinTech solution They're more open now than just like 12 months ago. So there is an evolution. I agree with your assessment, though. It probably still is pretty early days where the two of them come together. Um, I had an investor just a week or two ago, and he told me, um, okay, so I I get what you're doing. You're basically the cleanup crew for Web3. And I I like that sort of uh, positioning. I'm not sure I'll use it on our advertising. But It it really reminded me that Web3 has, you know, a lot of room for growth and and a lot of opportunity, but it still needs to, you know, get through this maturity factor of utility over speculation. And, And I think there's been a lot of grifters and a lot of fraud and people that are giving it that, you know, I can't trust it if it just has the word NFT, crypto, stablecoin. It's just it's bad. And I think you're going to now see builders come out of this, especially in this market, where they provide real world utility and capability that anybody sees it and they go, "Okay, I I can understand that. I mean, I understand everything that's going on in the background, but I feel like this is a solution I want to get behind. And, And I think it's, you know, every builder I'm speaking to right now, it's like heads down building. Let's get through this in you know, the next three, maybe six months. Um and then you know, pop out of that with a, a more efficient, more leaner organization that is ready for when the next, you know, sort of bull run starts.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do find that quite interesting. I think that the reason a lot of people had such a terrible reaction to a lot of this stuff and you know, at the intersection from especially from climate people looking at you know blockchain technologies. Is there was just so many there were so many grifters right there's so many people in it but I heard something recently that was like anybody who's still working on that space after this terrible market for for you know crypto slash blockchain etc. They are like genuinely they believe in the technology right they're not just here to make a buck because the you know the the water has gone out right the, there's no more there's no more uh, easy opportunities to make a quick buck so I I think that's pretty interesting one thing I really I'm very fascinated by obviously with my my day job being in recruitment is is team, right? So VCs we talk to a lot, they always say, especially in the early stage, team is a huge part, of, the founding team is a huge part of whether or not we'll make an investment. So could you speak to your experience on, you know, kind of getting a team around yourself, your co-founders, and how'd you go about finding them? and Any advice there on, on you know, developing a founding team?
1: Um, so I think every founder's got to They've got to just look very internally and understand where their own gaps are and then say, OK, I can't do all of this, um, even if I think I'm amazing at five of the seven elements I need. You still can't do all of it. And then after that, you figure out what those gaps are, where are you complementary, etc. cetera. The approach um, that we took, and, and it's not the most. I don't know, normal approach, one might say. Um, for me and my co-founder Oleg, like he comes from fintech. He's your, you know, typical CTO wrote code since he was in high school. He's very familiar with everything fintech. Right. And I have this climate background, been on the board, marketplaces, digital stuff, was at Yahoo for a while. So we're super complimentary. But then as you're, you're thinking, uh, the next three months, the next six months, the next 12 months you got to hire people that fill in a gap. But I think if not as important, if maybe more important, is the motivation of the individual that wants to work for you. So if you're a startup and you hire somebody who's like the very best, let's say, creative person on the planet, and you just love their work, you've referenced them, you've seen their work, but they're not willing to crack down a new design for you on Saturday afternoon, when you've just spent the entire morning working, that's not the right person in your business, right? And the other part is to, and and you get through this in the interview process, you see like, okay, I don't wanna burn you out, I don't wanna be burned out, but are you in a position where when things get rough, because they will get rough, you can rely on these people to, to pick up the organization solve for problems and so when we interview we're really quick to try and unravel that like we'll get into all the technical aspects of their background and their capabilities but one of the things is are you passionate about our topic if you are show us examples of where you've gone the extra mile and then we put stuff in front of them to really test them i mean it's it's not like a, you know, like a case study, but we we get pretty far down the line to see how resourceful individuals are, because if you don't hire resourceful people in a startup, all you're doing is guiding them on what to do all the time. And nobody has the time to do that. You know, you need to take that product person and say, look, you own this soup to nuts. As a CEO, I will always be involved in every aspect of the product. I have to be but you need to be able to move when I'm not present, make decisions when I'm not present, always with the mindset of what's the aim of the organization and, and who is my user and how do I solve for that? So a bit of a long-winded answer to say, hire with a lot of passion.
3: I, yeah, that, uh, the way you put it, I think is really insightful. We, sometimes we hear founders kind of say, oh, I just need to find someone who knows something I don't. But it can be a lot deeper than that, especially at the founding stage.
1: For sure. Um, and, it, and it's funny, your your instincts. I mean, I, I have hired and unfortunately fired uh, a number of people throughout my career. It's always interesting in that first conversation, that interview, you see little signals of things. And I'm feeling like my spidey sense is decent because we had someone uh, nine months ago and I got done with the interview and I did not think it was a good fit. Um, I trusted the technical aspect, but I did not think it was a good fit. Person lasted 90 days. Right. So, okay, we all make mistakes. It's hard to figure out if it's the right person. You really need to go into it. Um, But there, there needs to be that cultural alignment. And, you know, not only somebody that you can rely on to do good work, but, you know, you can call them up and talk about anything with them. Where you can go grab a beer or wine or coffee or whatever it is you drink, right? There there really needs to be that because these are your business partners going through some really difficult stuff at times.
3: I, I know the old adage goes the the beer test, and I think that's used mostly for the founder investor side, but it seems like it applies to the to the founder founder side too.
1: Not not always, right? Like sometimes people are more more introverted. Um and, and that's totally acceptable in my organization as well. Like we've got a few people that just don't have a lot to say but man they do a very good work and that's that's also okay um i think it's just you know finding the right spot so that they feel comfortable empowered to do the right work and you don't feel like oh man if i'm not watching that is it going to go the way i think it should go and maybe it doesn't need to go the way i think it should go but that just needs to be good right
0: yeah, I, this is super interesting. I mean, I'd really like to hear somebody else uh saying this, but it's very important when you're talking about even just even if it's early stage employees or later on understanding what is their motive and will they will they be willing to kind of do the work that we need to do, right? I I have it in my, in, in our team that we have people who, you know, they just like to show up and get things done. And I, I kind of tend to be that way. I I'm, I'm here to get things done while I'm at work, like I wouldn't mind hanging out with everybody after work, but it's like I gotta I gotta come home and record the podcast, right? So you gotta have you gotta have the understanding of what are the the boundaries gonna be, and I think it's sometimes or very often overlooked in the early early interview process of explaining what that's going to be.
3: Um, but yeah, yeah, that that's great. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance.
3: One thing. One thing. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You said five of the seven points. So it sounded like there might be a seven point checklist. Is there a is there is that an actual is that hand wave or is there an actual sort of metric you use for the things you're trying to cover in your team? Yeah, it, it was a hand wave. That's it. <laughs> okay, was hoping we'd get lucky there. But so I, the second follow up to that is, you know, finding people is half if not more the battle, right, especially the type of person you're talking about is not only a subject matter expert, uh, but is also someone who is good at what they do enough to the point that they can be a decision maker, enough that they can be a thought leader and someone who takes initiative. Like you said, if you ever have to take a step back, they should be able to take a step forward. So how do you find these people?
1: Um, Why don't I speak straight from what we've done? Um, We have primarily sourced through our network. Primarily, and that comes with you know quite a bit of vetting. That someone within the company knows somebody who worked with them for a long time, and can really give a long duration of experience. Hey, we were together for six years at this organization. This person was excellent at blah blah blah. These are the things I think that they needed to you know um, develop. So we've done that, but then we've also placed just flat out basic ads um and when we've done that we've also been hugely successful on the volume coming in and 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 in fact i would even argue in an annoying way so your inbox just starts flooding with these people because the way we write our description of our business it's very passionate you know it's like do you care about the climate do you want to do something about it do you have the skills to make blah 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 And you will naturally get very passionate people that are like, wow, um, you know, I just got done with my master's degree and I do care about that. Or I've been working at this, you know, luxury goods business for a while. And man, I don't give a crap about luxury goods, but I do care about the planet. And so you get these really heartfelt emails and reach outs on LinkedIn and and other places. Um, But I, I can't. I can't handle the volume of that, right? Thankfully we're not hiring tons of people at the very moment, but um, in the next several months we're gonna we're gonna need to figure out how to solve for that.
0: Yeah, you could always you could always hire a recruiter, we'll take care of it for you, Wink. I've uh, heard there's a few a few good ones around. Uh no, but I, I really appreciate that. I think it's actually quite interesting that the point you mentioned, just to, to touch on that, on the writing the job description. A lot of people just like kind of use this canned way of writing job descriptions and it's so stupid, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but you can make it readable and make it so that they're filtering themselves out because most people just have like the requirements on there and they look and the, the people are like, ah, I'm kind of like that, and then they just send in their application. And then you have people who are just completely you know the wrong fit for it, but you can through a really nice copywriting, get people to self kind of uh, take themselves out of the process before yeah. submitting, yeah.
1: The, the uh, other side of that, Silas, that I find is funny is um, when you have a passionate job description and then you get, like, a chat GPT-type response, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe you took the time to send, hit the send button. You know, like, you, are, <laughs> you, you have filtered yourself out right away.
0: <laughs> uh, man, there's so many people like that. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, we gotta get more NPCs out of this uh, out of the situation. But we do really want, before we run out time, to go over your advice for founders. So, can you talk about whether that's product finding product market fit, fundraising, go to market? We are, we already talked about talent. So, like, what are your most uh, kind of top pieces of advice to founders in the climate space?
1: Let's talk about product market fit because without that, the rest doesn't matter. Um, I suppose we, if we got time, we can go into fundraising too. um, product to market fit is is the obvious thing. Everybody, you know, PMF, you've got an acronym for it now, right? Um, I've been doing that for a long, long time and I still am always learning. The biggest thing I think I would advise any founder is. No matter how basic your idea is, and maybe you haven't thought through all the different details, the fastest way to get yourself closer to product market fit, and I think this is a no-brainer and it's obvious, so I'm not sure I'm sharing anything new, but my experience is get something in front of human beings. Human beings that maybe you know, maybe you don't know. You know, don't ask your mom and dad because they're always going to tell you it's great. Um, but, you know, go to those people that are critical thinkers, maybe they know you, maybe they don't know you. And the sooner you start getting through that, the sooner you understand better, what's your customer base? What are their needs? Where do they go? What do they like? You start learning who your competition is. I mean, even now, you know, a year long, beyond a year long with this business, I come across, competitors every week. But then I realized they're not because I realized what they're doing is totally different, but in the eyes of the customer we are. So it's, it's a process that I always say, if, if you, if you're asking yourself, then you don't have it, right? Do we know our customers? Do we have product to market fit? And so my biggest advice is get it out there, get it quick, get data, sit in front of people. Um, like at our company, we we do what's called silent interviews. We have somebody holding the phone. It's a friend. It's a random person that's just willing to spend, you know, 10 minutes with you. And we say, can you use our our, our product? But I'm not going to tell you anything, but please speak out loud. That sort of insight gets shared across engineering, marketing, product, everybody. And in doing so, you start to really narrow down because you cannot be everything to everyone, you know. You're not, you're not Coca-Cola. You must be very clear about who your customer base is, and the fastest way to get there is a, a, an early prototype, and then you iterate, you iterate, you iterate. So again, I I don't think there's anything novel in my my product to market feedback. I think I no, think that's both that's understood. Out.
0: I are there any particular things that you think about from a climate perspective, like when you're looking at product market fit, because I know you know, generally speaking, if you remove the climate lens, it's just, okay, do people want to buy your product? But given that it's a climate, uh, climate focus, are there other lenses? You also kind of put on top of that? and say, well, maybe people want to buy it, but is it actually going to be impactful? Any other things that you would, you would suggest there as well?
1: Ooh, specific to climate. Yes.
0: Um,
1: you must recognize that the, climate-conscious consumer is weary right now. Um, and I say that with a, a, a global lens. And depending on how much of a climate nerd you are, you might even be more weary that the solution and the platform that you come on to is not doing what you think it's going to do. So this is actually something that, that like we're constantly working through. So the advice to the founder would be, You need to ensure that you're providing trust um, without being a climate nerd. So I'll, I'll be super specific on that. We went through this because that's exactly what happened to us. So we were like super climate nerdy a year ago, and we were showing like these bubbles of CO2 footprints and explaining that's the size of your carbon footprint. Nobody had any clue what we were talking about. Like we thought it was so obvious, but we were climate nerds, right? Like we were like, no, no, no. See, at at this temperature, that's what it would be. You know, it's bigger than the Eiffel Tower, but it's smaller than this. People still didn't get it. So I think you've you've got to put things into terminology that someone who cares about the planet but isn't an expert can understand. And then the second part being is Give them everything that they need to feel the trust of your solution. And there's varying levels of trust that people will look for. You know, it could be social validation. It can be brand affiliation. Um, you know, some people love the fact that we do a lot of our stuff. So what? You know, garbage in, garbage out. So I think you you have to understand that customer base and then think about, what is the right level of climate whatever it is you're building and especially if it's like super innovative and you know people don't know what biochar is or whatever you you just make it really simple for them and then explain in easy to understand terminology and provide that level of trust because in the end that's what it is you're you're looking for that user to see your platform trust you and trust what you're doing is is going to make a real difference towards the climate. And, and it's a, it's a tough balance. Like it's, it's our tough balance.
3: I know we're, we're, we're sort of coming up on the, the end of the show. So I want to ask probably the show favorite question, um, just to round it out. This is a little bit different, but if you were forced to start a climate tech company today, so one that's different from purpose, um, and not anything that's basically purpose, but renamed. Um, what is the company that you would do, uh, just generally speaking maybe with the problem space you're most passionate about or intrigued by outside of your current company? Um,
1: this will sound totally cliche, but I wouldn't. Um, because I really looked at so many different climate solutions. Like I knew after my accelerator experience, I knew after being on the board, I knew after sitting down with uh my board my investors like this was the solution i could get behind and i liked it we've evolved like it it hasn't always been exactly how it is now um in climate this is what i'd be doing i i my my biggest thing i would say i wish i would have done is i wish i would have done this five years ago i really do because i think that these things take some time to get the flywheel spinning and and things going there. Um, But I've always worked in companies where you're, like I said earlier, you're, you're connecting people with something they didn't have before. And I've always loved those sort of solutions. So I'd need to rethink that, you know, maybe there's some other connection I haven't thought of within climate. And, and that's probably what the evolution of our product will be is some other connection that we're not doing now that maybe works in certain parts of the world or, or works for a certain customer base. Um, but I, I just like I don't have anything, for example, against carbon credits, but I would tell you I would not go into carbon credits. I definitely not play in that space right now. It, it's great there's lots of money there it's great that the funding happened you know a year year and a half ago it clearly needs to be cleaned up but it's not like I'm looking at the carbon credits market going oh damn it we should be doing that
3: we we can tell you from experience you're definitely not alone in that you're definitely not the only one saying that um is there you know i i, I totally if, if anything it sounds really really cool like this is you had sort of that broad view of a lot of different tech so you chose this one um was there anything that you were any areas that you were bullish on? Where yeah, maybe I wouldn't build in it, but I think it's a growing area. I think It's an area that it's worth getting into. In climate, yes.
1: Oh, um, look. If you've read um, Bill Gates' book, which the friggin' title is escaping my memory right now, you know one of the messages in there is the green premium. And how so many of these things, it's like any new technology has this extra price. Um, You know, electric vehicles is is a good example of that. Um, I think that we don't know what that next energy transition solution is. You know, I listen to people talking about hydrogen that's blue, that's green, that's dirty. I don't understand all of it, but I continue. I'm like super climate uh, curious and sort of nerdy in that sense. I go to these things and I learn about that or like I didn't know what biochar was 12 months ago. So I I think there's there's new stuff coming out there that needs that injection and needs innovators and and lots of capital to make the possibilities there for all of us to suddenly go like, yeah, of course, I drive a biochar car, you know, like, why would not so. I wish I knew what those things were and I'm like super optimistic that the right smart people and the right smart capital is going to get into and make those things happen. And, you know, maybe one day we're in a position at purpose where we can help to get capital into those newer sort of things that can make a massive difference, but it's going to take some time to get there. Um, But, you know, like, you know, energy transition is what's the problem right it's what 73 75 percent of of the you know problem right now so we've we've got to just yeah buckle down on that or or we're in trouble
0: fair play well i appreciate you sticking to your answer there i believe the book is i believe it's how to avoid a climate disaster i think is what the title is but um anyways final thoughts anything any calls to action to the audience for you you know to end things up here
1: yeah, um, one would be, you know, go to purposewithay.io, uh, give it a try. We are in beta. It needs, you know, users and and feedback. Um, and you can always, I believe we have a little button where you can reach out to me if you're curious to know more about how we work and what we're, we're doing. And then I'd say everybody else that's in the climate space, like, keep up the good fight. You know, um, I love when I reach out to climate founders and they take my call and and vice versa you know i'd say a couple times a week i learn about some other climate founder out there what they're doing and it's amazing how open the entire industry is like i met a guy a few weeks back called himself a space farmer and then i understood what he was doing and i'm like man i am so inspired by you right so i think anybody that's doing climate tech It's going to be a slog, but you're you're aligned to what we can all do. And what's going to be super cool is when a lot of these climate founders grow up and we're all like working together and helping each other as probably some mergers and acquisitions down
0: the line right i i do think about that a lot i think that's quite interesting there's first of all a lot of people very open but also it's like the new Silicon Valley. like there's all the old people who were they were there they're the they have the big names and everything and you see people like chris sacco who've transitioned to to climate now and obviously he's going to be in both camps but there's a lot of people who were not in the first camp and i think that the way the thing I'm optimistic about is that climate, because of its alignment with ESG, will be a much more inclusive space and not just like this Silicon Valley kind of, you know, tech bros winter, club. Winter takes all. Yeah, where you have to be from the space, you have to grow up there, hopefully a little bit more distributed. Being somebody from the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, that's something I think about. You know, hopefully hopefully we have a chance at this stuff. So anyways, I, I really do like that. So I appreciate you coming on and it's been it's been a pleasure.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Super cool. I enjoyed it as well.